We are living in perilous times and that's why it was so deeply problematic and dangerous when the owner of X validated an awful anti-Semitic conspiracy theory to his 160 million followers or so. Hello and welcome to the interview. I'm Diana Falzone, a senior reporter at Mediaite. And I'm Ada McLaughlin, the editor-in-chief of Mediaite. For this week's episode, we are joined by Jonathan Greenblatt, CEO of the Anti-Defamation League, a prominent Jewish civil rights organization. We discussed media's coverage of the Hamas terror attack on October 7th and the subsequent war waged by Israel, the ADL's feud with Elon Musk and Jonathan's latest exchange with the owner of Twitter, as well as the controversial statement that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. Finally, we spoke about President Joe Biden's sinking poll numbers. He joins us now. Jonathan, welcome to the interview. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. So first off, tell us about the mission of the Anti-Defamation League. So ADL is the oldest anti-hate organization in America. We were founded in 1913 around the wrongful conviction of a man named Leo Frank, who was falsely accused sort of railroaded in a sham trial and ultimately lynched by a mob for a crime he didn't commit. And at that time, at the turn of the 20th century, Jews in America lived with what we might call systemic discrimination. They couldn't work in many professions. They couldn't attend many universities. They couldn't buy homes in many places. There was legalized, institutionalized uh, discrimination. And yet, the founders of ADL thought that America needed to live up to its promise to be a more perfect union. So they created this organization in order to address these issues. But what's interesting is that when they founded ADL, they wrote a mission statement that we still use today, that our purpose is to quote, stop the defamation of the Jewish people and secure justice and fair treatment to all. So for 110 years, longer than any of us have been alive, ADL has been focused on not only making America safer for its Jewish citizens, but make it more equitable, more fair, and more just for Black Americans, Asian Americans, Latino Americans, Americans of all different faiths, all different races, races all different ethnicities, all different sexual identities. ADL has been at the forefront, of, I think, making America, again, safe, not just for its Jewish people, but for all its people, for uh, again over a century now there's been a steady rise by all accounts of anti-semitism in america over the last few years the adl pointed out uh, pointed to a rise in 2016 coinciding with the election of donald trump and several horrific attacks on jewish people in america that followed then came the terror attacks of october 7th the adl documents all of this how would you describe yeah. the current climate in the united states when it comes to anti-semitism and what do you think is fueling that climate so to put it in some context, as part of our work, we do a lot of education, we do a lot of advocacy, but we're also focused on protecting communities. And part of that means as a data-driven, evidence-based organization, understanding the actual sort of state of play. We do that by measuring attitudes and tracking incidents. So when I say tracking incidents, incidents are reported to us, bias incidents, uh, often anti-Semitic, others as well. And we meticulously investigate so that we can verify every anti-Semitic act that we record. So we don't publish complaints or allegations. We publish stuff that we know really happened, acts of harassment, vandalism, or violence. Since 2016, things have been going in the wrong direction. And I'll talk about why. 
But to give you a sense of that, 2022 was the worst year that we've ever seen since we started recording this data 45 years ago. Literally, it was the highest number by a long shot. In fact, the totals in 2022 were more than 500% greater than a decade earlier. We had record highs in five, three times the past five years. So the issues are grave and they've been driven by, I think, the normalization of anti-Semitism, both the hard right, extreme right, and the rabid left have normalized like anti-Semitic myths and accusations from the great replacement theory to like the ideology of anti-Zionism. These things have penetrated and mainstreamed on college campuses, at political conventions, in ways that are really dangerous. It's a kind of scapegoating. That's number one. Number two, extremists feel emboldened. So it's not just some random people normalizing it. We now have people running for elected office, showing up as university professors, uh, commentators on major news organizations. Again, extremists who once were on the fringe have now found their way into the center of our conversation. And then social media. Social media is the super spreader of anti-Semitism and hate. It is, a, it is an accelerant and an amplifier like no other force in society, from TikTok, to YouTube, to Facebook, to Twitter, all of it, let alone what we see in online gaming and messaging apps. I mean, again, people have always had ugly opinions. And in a free society, you know, hate speech is the price of free speech. I mean, I really believe we have to be willing to tolerate things we detest to live in a democracy. But social media isn't a soapbox, you know, in a public space. Social media is like a rocket launcher that allows you to say something and spread it at like, you know, at a speed, at a velocity, and at a volume that was never previously even imaginable. So those things, and then I would lastly say, in a world where there's uncertainty because of COVID-19, or because of the gap between the have and the have nots, or because of war, you know, Jews are the perennial scapegoat. Like people in power for thousands of years have needed someone to blame and the Jews have always been the one to blame. And so we're seeing that in this moment, again, global volatility, economic uncertainty, political instability, leaders in power or people who want to get power need someone to blame and they blame the Jews. They blame the Jewish people or the Jewish state. Since October 7th, I already told you we had record numbers of anti-Semitism. I already explained it, the highest numbers we've ever seen. And in the 40 days after the massacre in Israel, 40 days after the worst, bloodiest terror attack in the history of the country, we've seen over a thousand anti-Semitic incidents here in the US. Almost a third of what happened all of last year happened in just over a month. And I'm talking about, you know, we had a man murdered in California. We had at a, at a pro-Israel event. We had a woman drive her car into uh, what she thought was a Jewish school outside of Indianapolis because she wanted to kill Jewish people. On our college campuses, we've seen young kids, you know, college students getting harassed, getting threatened, being assaulted simply because of their identities. And whether it comes from, again, the extreme right or whether it comes from the hard left, whether it comes from white supremacists or rabid anti-Zionists, all of it is deeply dangerous to Jewish people.
And so we're alarmed. And so we are more focused than ever in trying to fight it wherever, whenever and it shows up and whoever spreads it. I'm very interested by the idea that you mentioned that the ADL fights for civil rights for all. You, you pointed out in an interview once that the mission of the ADL is both particular and universal, that it mm -hmm. seeks to protect the Jewish people, but also secure justice and fair treatment for all. The ADL was a strong supporter of the civil rights movement in the 1950s, for example. Now, coinciding with this rise of anti-Semitism that we've seen throughout the world, there's also been a spike in Islamophobic hate, harassment, even violence in the United States. Is that something that you see as an issue for the ADL to tackle as well? Well, there is no question, I would say, that number one, hate against all groups is up today in ways that are new and worrisome. So yes, anti-Semitism has risen, and the FBI, which tracks all kinds of hate crimes, has seen a spike in anti-Black racism, a huge surge in anti-Asian hate. And again, in recent weeks, it is reported that we've seen a, a, a bump up in anti-Muslim bias as well. And we know, for example, maybe a week and a half after October the 7th, a young Palestinian boy outside of Chicago in Lakeview, Illinois, was murdered simply because of his ethnicity. I mean, that is totally despicable and wrong. Anti-Muslim problem isn't just a problem for Muslims. It's my problem as a Jewish man as well. If I want to live in a country that treats me decently, it needs to treat other people decently too. If I want to live in a society where my faith is respected, we have to respect people of all faiths. Now, at the same time, just as anti-Muslim bias or Islamophobia should be a problem for me, like it is for Muslims, anti-Semitism needs to be a problem for Muslims, just like it is for me. I mean, anti-Semitism, again, isn't some parochial concern for the small segment of the population. It is throughout history, an early warning sign of societal decay. It is almost always like a barometric indicator that there's a kind of moral rot at the core of the institution, of the enterprise, of the sort of polity where it is taking place. And so I would say we should stand up and fight hate because that's the right thing to do, period, full stop. Again, no matter who it's directed against, as a person of moral character, I think we're obligated to push back on it. And what I would just say, what's picked by anti-Semitism is it starts with the Jews, but it never ends with the Jews. And so for those people who think, well, it's not my problem, it's political because of Israel or it's, you know, these Jewish people. And we're seeing ugly conspiracies, like ugly right wing conspiracies that the Jews are responsible for trying to change the demographics in America that's wrong and hateful. And we're seeing ugly kind of left-wing conspiracies that the Jews are committing genocide. Well, that's wrong and hateful. But whether or not you're Jewish shouldn't matter. All of us should stand up and call out that kind of hate when it happens. Let's talk about media coverage of the current war. You called out MSNBC on air soon after October 7th and even asked if Hamas was writing scripts for the network. What was your yeah. issue with MSNBC's coverage of the attack? Well, that's a really good question. I mean, I think, look, let's acknowledge that in the fog of war, it's never necessarily easy. When things are happening in real time, reporting can be hard. But you know what isn't hard? Like 
calling out hate actually isn't hard. And equivocating on issues of good versus evil also should not be so difficult. But what was happening in those first 24, 36, 48 hours after the massacre became understood is we had commentators, and not just on MSNBC, it was happening on CNN as well uh, and other networks, sort of lauding Hamas for what they accomplished. Speaking about them, I remember this commentator in CNN on an interview that I was getting ready to, to do. I was listening on the earpiece, and she was talking about the, quote, spectacular gains by Hamas. Again, from where I come from, butchering women and children, there's nothing spectacular about that. There are no gains when you go house to house and execute entire families, right? That's savagery, and that should be called out as such. And on MSNBC all weekend, they were referring to the Hamas uh, murderers, barbarians. They were calling them militants, fighters. They were using other language like that. Again, similarly, sort of equivocating on what happened. This was before Israel had gone into Gaza to respond. This is before all the difficult, horrible, heart-wrenching pictures of civilians being killed in Gaza. This is when, again, the Israelis were still picking through the rubble, trying to understand what had happened, and the commentators were just awful. So I called that out, and I basically said, look, like Hamas is a foreign terror organization. That's not my opinion. That's what the State Department determined in 1997. And again, people who rape women, who kidnap children after murdering their parents right in front of them, we need to treat these people with a kind of moral clarity and not talk about it in ways that confuses the audience or that, again, avoids the issue at hand. Evil is evil. I believe shooting elderly people at point blank range, evil. I believe, again, sneaking into a kibbutz, you know, early in the morning in order to murder as many civilians as possible is revolting, reprehensible, and inexcusable in any context. So when MSNBC wasn't saying what I'm telling you, just clear, I felt the need to call it out. Now, in fairness, I did it on Morning Joe. And, you know, Joe Scarborough, Mika Brzezinski, Willie Geist, you know, Mike Barnacle, so many of their commentators, Donnie Deutsch, Al Sharpton, they get it right every time and they've been really good. It's unfortunate that I don't think all the shows have been as good, but I think things have gotten a lot better since I made those comments. I want to talk about Elon Musk. You have gone back and forth with the owner of Twitter, which is now known as X, after he accused the ADL of allegedly scaring off advertisers after the ADL pointed to a spike in hate speech on the platform. And mm -hmm. that flight of advertisers actually went into overdrive this week when Musk endorsed an anti-Semitic conspiracy theory on Twitter. What did you think when you saw that? How alarmed were you to see that from one of the most powerful people in the world? Well, I mean, look, we are living in perilous times, as I said before. and that's why it was so deeply problematic and dangerous when the owner of x validated an awful anti-semitic conspiracy theory to his 160 million followers or so and that's why i called that out right away when it happened and then you know, two days later it's important that he made a good policy decision and announced that he was no longer going to tolerate language genocidal language 
a call to eradicate the state of Israel and annihilate the 7 million people who live there. So I've said since the beginning that I will, you know, criticize with all the companies, by the way, it's not unique to X or to Elon Musk, its new owner. We've been doing this with Twitter for years, but we will call out when they get it wrong and we will credit them when they get it right. Now, what's challenging here is that, again, the great replacement theory is a problem. You can disagree with immigration policies. That doesn't mean there's a cabal of Jewish people or anyone plotting to commit white genocide. That's just flat out wrong. And look, he didn't just go after Jews. He also called out the ADL specifically. I mean, that was a grave error. And that's why I slammed him for it. Now, again, a couple of days later, he made an important and productive decision that they were going to start enforcing their terms of service and suspending users who post incendiary, insightful comments like the hashtag from the river to the sea. That is good and that's important. So I, I don't think one negates the other. I don't want to give you the wrong impression. I'm not saying, oh, he's off the hook because he said this on Friday or, oh, he'll always be bad because he said this on Wednesday. It's my job to call it as I see it. It's our job at ADL to fight hate wherever it happens. And look, I think all of us would benefit, I mean, not just ADL, not just the Jewish people, the country, the world, if Twitter and slash X would be a better, healthier, safer space for all its users. So just like we watch what happens on all the platforms, we're gonna keep watching X. We'll reserve the right to call them out when they get it wrong and we'll, we'll reserve the right to praise them when we think they get it right. And, and, you know, you just touched upon some of the things that I want to get into, but you did, you did mention that you caught some flack and I should note for applauding Musk, which you also just mentioned for another tweet this week in which he said terms like decolonization and from the river to the sea would yeah. get users suspended for Twitter. You said you appreciated his leadership in fighting hate. And I want to read what one critic, Isaac Chotner at the New Yorker responded to you. The most prominent organization fighting anti-Semitism in America will commend your, quote, leadership in fighting hate 24 hours after you endorse vile neo-Nazi anti-Semitism if you take a strong stand against critics of Israel. What do you make of that criticism? I mean, totally baseless and wrong. So again, Isaac Chotner does not comment on the fact that we criticized him 24 hours before. We didn't give him a free pass. Number one, after he said something that we disagreed with strongly, again, I've already said it is problematic and dangerous when someone of his with his platform promotes anti-Semitic or validates anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. Again, it endangers individuals like me, my family, my community, the whole constituency that I am tasked to protect. And yet, the phrase from the river to the sea is a call to commit genocide against citizens of the Jewish state. Like decolonization apparently means decapitation of babies. It's not, you know, something I'm saying lightly. It's literally what happened. And so, I, again, maybe it's not of concern to this particular individual, but to me, I am concerned about the dizzying number of anti-Semitic acts of harassment and threats that are targeting Jewish college students all over America today. And so, if Twitter or slash X becomes a place that's less toxic for Jewish people, that's a good thing. And so when I said that Elon Musk showed leadership, he did. 
TikTok hasn't done this. Facebook, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube. I mean, Snap, no one else has done this. I think it's a good thing. I think it does deserve to be recognized as such. And when the other companies get it right, I'll praise them too. Now, you've said for a few years now that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. You doubled down on that claim in a recent appearance on CNN. You said, there is no argument anymore that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. That is as plain as day. Explain that to us. Why is there no argument anymore on that point? Well, so Zionism is the, a couple of things. So number one, Zionism did not start, you know, 75 years ago with the founding of the state of Israel. Zionism didn't start 125 years ago with the start of the movement to create a state. Zionism is essential to the Jewish faith for 5,000 years. You know, I was in synagogue over the weekend. And if you open up any prayer book on pretty much any page uh, in any synagogue, anywhere around the world, on every page, you will find references to Zion, to uh, Israel, to Jerusalem. Again, like the Jewish faith is inextricably bound up in this idea that, you know, as an indigenous people, we have the right to return to our homeland. It's everywhere in our faith. So political Zionism is the idea that the Jews should have the right to self-determination in the land where they've always lived. That's what it is. It does not, it's not exclusionary. It doesn't say Palestinians don't have rights. It is not uh, ethnocentric. It doesn't say that only people of a certain, you know, racial, uh, racial compo composition have rights. It simply says that Jews who've been indigenous to that land have the right to self-determination there. That's it. It's actually an anti-colonial liberation idea. Because remember, the country was occupied, the region, sorry, was occupied by the Turks, by the British, by, the, by Arab invaders and others over a thousand years. So that's what Zionism is, the rights of Jews to self-determination. Anti-Zionism is the idea that the Jews don't have those rights. It is an ideology of negation. Anti-Zionism is not defining a Palestinian state. Anti-Zionism is not talking about a two-state solution or even a one-state solution. Anti-Zionism is Jews have a set of rights that we want to destroy, that we don't believe the Jews enjoy these rights. I mean, that is literally, it's the opposite of Zionism. It's anti-Zionism. And so whether or not you intend to be anti-Semitic, it is indisputable to see where anti-Zionism takes you. So there's, and let me say one last point. There is nothing wrong with criticizing Israel. There is nothing wrong with, um, you know, calling into question Bibi Netanyahu, protesting his policies, objecting to the way that Palestinians are treated or Bedouin are treated or some of the other examples. Like any other democracy, Israel has discrimination. It's far from perfect. But I don't think there is another country on the planet Earth that is subjected to serial unending delegitimization and slander. There's discrimination in France, but no one says, you know, we're anti-French, we want to destroy the state. There's discrimination here in America, but nobody says, therefore, we should destroy America. Israel's the only country that gets that kind of relentless, relentless demonization, and it can have consequences, as we've seen saw happen on the 7th, as we've seen happen in the weeks since right here in the United States. Uh, so I'm interested in, in your definition of anti-Zionism, because the idea that anti-Zionism and anti-Semitism has been a fairly controversial claim, even within the ADL. How do you square that 
statement, which is fairly absolutist, with the reality that there are plenty of people, including Palestinians, obviously, Israelis and Hebrews across the world, who obviously harbor no ill will towards the Jewish people, but do consider themselves anti-Zionists? Well, look, maybe the term is misunderstood, because I don't want to impugn the motives of everyone who might self-define that way. Right, because I think a lot of people who are, you know, Palestinians who were exiled in 1948, their descendants, people that live in the West Bank or Gaza in deplorable conditions, I think we could hardly expect them to embrace a political ideology that resulted in that or be sure. deemed anti-Semitic. Well, look, absolutely. Like, there was a war in 1948. The United Nations, right, declared two states. The Jews were there said, yes, we'll take it. The Arabs who were there said, we won't take it. And they fought. And there was displacement for sure. I don't expect a Palestinian who is displaced from their village or their descendants to march in the Israel Independence Day parade. But the question is not whether or not you have strong negative feelings toward Israel. I get that. But whether or not you think Israel doesn't have the right to exist. Now, that's not some abstract idea. I mean, maybe it's okay in the context of like a college seminar on 19th century philosophies of nationalism. But in the real world, the one where I live, right? when we were seeing this record number of anti-Semitic incidents. We're seeing this ugly manifestations in public places, in workplaces, on campuses, et cetera, and in newsrooms, quite frankly, with coverage. In that world, in the real world, even if you don't intend it by saying things like, I'm an anti-Zionist, realize what you're saying is, I don't believe in the right Jews to have the same rights as everyone else. So you could almost imagine a world where someone says, well, look, I'm not a Zionist. I don't want to, I don't want to, again, march in the Israel Day Parade. I get it entirely. And yet the anti-Zionist is dedicated to destroying the Jewish state. That's what that philosophy is about. So when you subscribe to that philosophy, you need to understand what it actually means. It's very possible that some people who say don't really understand the consequences of well, it. Well, but I think like it's kind of Palestinians and, and like, let's say a, a liberal college professor who is Jewish would self-describe as anti-Zionist and would would say that they are are not anti-semitic does Look, it is it a problem that, for the slogan that it that it labels all those people as anti-semitic no. does that not have the result of stifling debate or silencing those people no. as, as they would say? again you can criticize israel all you want but just delegitimizing the state and its citizens has real world consequences that you need to accept like if you're going to make these statements you need to be accountable for it I'm not saying there shouldn't be free speech on college campuses at all. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is anti-Zionism has real world repercussions. Let me put it to you like this. To say I'm anti-Zionist, but I'm not anti-Semitic. That's like saying, 1963, I'm not racist, but I'm against the civil rights movement. I'm not racist, but I think Martin Luther King should be in jail because he's you know, uh, uh, he is uh, trying to break up society or something like that. So I wanna ask you, I'll ask you the question, how would you interpret, someone might say legitimately, look, I'm not a racist, I'm just opposed to civil rights movement. I don't think that black, there should be a civil rights movement for black people in America. Like I think, to a, I mean, literally there may be black people who said that, I don't know, but I think we can listen and say, huh, you may feel that way, that may be in your heart. You may not even intend it to be offensive, but it is. 
And at a time when black people were getting beaten in the streets, when people were getting killed for fighting for civil rights, to say you're not racist, but you're opposed to the civil rights movement, that that lands pretty flat. Right. So the anti-Zionist, I, I, I'm not anti-Semitic. I just don't believe in the right of the Jewish state to exist. That lands pretty flat today in light of where the world is. Well, but I would say that there's a lot of Palestinians and Jews and even Israelis who believe, let's say, that there should be a one-state solution with equal rights for all, equal rights for Israelis and Palestinians. And unlike the racists in the 1950s, they're not denying civil rights to black people. They're saying that everyone should live equally, but they just believe that the political ideology of Zionism has dealt them a really horrible hand. Well, look, like some, I mean, there are certainly black people in America who could say, I think America's dealt us a pretty horrible hand. Like 400 years of slavery, plus 100 plus years of Jim Crow, plus institutional discrimination today. I think it's dealt me a pretty hard hand. But, right, that but I don't think mean, we would consider them anti-American. Well, but my, but my point is, is that, that the anti-Zionist says Israel doesn't have the right to exist. Just so we're clear. So you could say it's dealt me a heavy hand and therefore I'm going to do everything I can to undermine the legitimacy of the country. Like, you understand why that would be very problematic? And there's something else to keep in mind, too. Again, we're not talking about some abstraction here. We're not talking about some hypothetical here. Again, as we've seen with Hamas, as we've seen with Hezbollah, as we've seen with the Houthis, as we've seen with Iran, and I could go on, there are nation states and their proxies who are not just dedicated to destroying the Jewish state, they're actively working to do so. So again, to the anti-Zionist who says, I don't believe Palestinians can ever get a fair shake. I don't believe that. And so therefore I'm opposed to the state. I would just say, how do you then explain all the Palestinian doctors, all the Palestinian lawyers, Palestinian Arab Muslims in the government? Like you, these things don't square. So again, you might feel angry about the state that it displaced you or your, or your um, ancestors. I completely get that. But if you, and so you may say, look, I don't want to support Israel. I get that too. But the anti-Zionist is dedicated, whether with intent, by, with intention or by dint of the outcome of their beliefs, is dedicated to destroying the state. Now, let me give you, it is, anti-Zionism is the opposite of Jews having the same rights as Palestinians. If you believe that Palestinians have the right to self-determination, if you believe that, I believe Palestinians have the right to self-determination. I just don't believe Jews have the same right. Like, I'm sorry, that is literally, that is literally the essence of discrimination. doesn't matter if it's a Jew saying it or a Palestinian saying it or an atheist or a Christian or a Swedish person. If you would deny Jewish people the very same rights that you think Palestinians deserve, like, uh, sorry, if that holding one or the other, it's just wrong. Right. I now, just don't think that many anti-Zionists would, would consider that definition to be the, the one that they would ascribe to themselves. But like, again, I mean, let me give you another example. So my wife is an Iranian Jew. Mm. Her family lived in Iran for thousands of years. So they say they trace their lineage back to when the Babylonians sacked Israel 2000 years ago and Cyrus the Great brought the Jews over, invited the Jews come. The Islamic Republic comes into power after the revolution in 1979, regards Jews as enemies of the state, shuts down their schools, appropriates property, constricts their freedom of religion and other liberties. And they leave as political refugees. They escape. They wouldn't let them leave. They escaped under false papers. 
My wife doesn't think Iran should be destroyed. They took their things, they forced them out, they murdered their friends. If my wife were to go back, she'd be arrested on the spot. But my wife doesn't believe that the country does have the right to exist. So look, Jews have been displaced. My family, my grandfather was murdered in the Holocaust. I don't believe Jordan doesn't have the right to exist. So again, let's just talk about, again, anti-Zionism is not, I'm upset about what the Nazis did to my family. Anti-Zionism is we should destroy Germany forever. Germans don't have the same rights as everyone else. Like that's why it's, again, I'm trying to draw an analogy here and just explain why it's so deeply problematic. And again, last point I'll make. There are definitely Jews who identify as anti-Zionist. There are definitely a contingent of African-Americans who are very pro-Trump. There are definitely a contingent of Hispanic people who are very anti-immigration. There is a fringe in every community with ideas that are very different from the mainstream. I spent last week on the National Mall with 300,000 other people, non-Jews for sure, but also many, many, many Jews. They came from all corners of the country, all denominations, different ethnicities, different races, different levels of observance. I, there were people with MAGA hats and people with pride t-shirts. And that was a breadth and a depth of our community that was amazingly diverse and representative. And there were no anti-Zionists there. So if you look hard enough, you can definitely find them, but they are the fringe. They are the fringe of our community. And so suggesting that they somehow speak for the vast majority of us it's just incorrect. My my last question on this, because I know I've been harping on it, but yeah. I, you seem to accept that there are exceptions to the phrase. But it, it well, what do you mean by exception? There are exceptions like the the Jewish people that you've met, you just mentioned, the Palestinians who were evicted in 1948, who we wouldn't necessarily expect to sign up for Zionism. My my question is, does it not cheapen the label of anti-Semitism by labeling? this entire community of Palestinians, much of the Arab world, and even Jews and Israelis who self-describe as anti-Zionist, does it not cheapen the label of anti-Semitism to group all of those people in with hardcore anti-Semites, Nazis, etc.? Well, look, anti-Semitism is hate. It can come from multiple directions. There can be anti-Semitism of kind of commission. There can be anti-Semitism of omission. It's just like racism. Racism is insidious. Racism takes many forms. Racism isn't something you can easily, you know, put in a bottle or put in a box and it always looks the same. And it very well may be, I mean, we talk a lot in this country about white privilege. White people who don't even realize they are being racist, don't even appreciate the privilege that they have due to the way that they show up, the way the color of their skin. Doesn't mean it isn't there. Doesn't mean there aren't issues. So the fact of the matter is the anti-Semitism not only am I not cheapening anti-Semitism by describing anti-Zionism for what it is, I'm clarifying the different manifestations of it today. You know, I used to work for President Obama, and he used to say, maybe he still does, history doesn't repeat itself, but it rhymes. So when you talk about anti-Zionism, delegitimizing the Jewish state, it rhymes with the trope of delegitimization that's been placed upon the Jewish people for 2,000 years. I want to ask about the Biden administration and 2024. President Biden has some tough polls that came out in recent weeks. He hit his lowest approval ever in a new NBC poll and saw his support among young voters absolutely plummet. 
NBC reported over the weekend that the erosion for Biden is most pronounced among Democrats, the majority of whom believe Israel has gone too far in its military action in Gaza and among voters ages 18 to 34, with a whopping 70 percent of them disapproving of Biden's handling of the war. Why do you think Biden's handling of the war, which has been marked by strong support for Israel, is so unpopular among Democrats, particularly younger Democrats? Well, I mean, in all honesty, like I'm not a political pollster and I haven't read. I mean, I'm listening to what you're telling me and I've heard that the numbers are challenging for him in certain certain demographics. I don't know all the details. Um, I would say that, number one, the images from Gaza are wrenching. They're heartbreaking. They're heartbreaking. I mean, every Palestinian life, every civilian who gets killed is a tragedy. We should grieve and we should mourn for every child, for every baby, for every person who gets killed in this fight, every non-combatant who is collateral damage. Every loss of life is a world destroyed, just like every Israeli who was killed. Every one of those who were killed, uh, the 1,200 plus, or kidnapped on October the 7th is again a world destroyed. We should have the humanity to mourn for every innocent killed. It's just wrong and it's unfortunate. We at the same time can recognize, well, why is this happening and what started this? It started with Hamas, unfortunately. It'll probably end with Hamas, unfortunately, with their, you know, them being destroyed. But I mean, I would hope, I would hope that the president's moral clarity in recognizing this would be appreciated by voters. Um, but I get why for a young population that gets its news from TikTok, that sees things not with any nuance, but gets images and short form video for 15 seconds. I mean, nuance is flattened and details are obliterated when all you see are images. And, you know, there are no fact checkers on TikTok. There's no standards board on TikTok. There's no ombudsman on TikTok. Um, there's no letters to the editor on TikTok. So, and frankly, it's a company owned by, you know, ByteDance in Beijing. So the challenge there is serious because there's none of the typical checks and balances that, as you guys know, as a company, as a brand that studies the media, that's usually a play with the media we consume. So considering how young people intake information, and considering how, what a humanitarian disaster it is in Gaza, I'm not surprised that people are deeply upset about it. I'm deeply upset about it. If you are a living, breathing, sentient person and you're not upset about it, I think you got to look in the mirror. I really think you do. John Greenblatt, thanks so much for coming on the interview. We really appreciate it. Hey, I appreciate you guys. Thank you for the good questions. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Interview. Please subscribe to The Interview on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or YouTube. And check out coverage of our conversation with Jonathan Greenblatt on Mediate.com.